0: All right, let's take a look at First Peter chapter 3. Interesting thing happened in my life uh, this week. I don't know how interesting it is to you, but it was interesting to me because I wasn't really planning on preaching a Father's Day message this morning. I planned on staying right there uh, with First Peter. And then I open up First Peter, and it talks all about family. And so, huh, so God, I guess you did want me to talk about some family issues here on Father's Day. So here we are. So one of the things I want to do, I want to begin with Just really one of the most obvious statements that I could make. And that is that there are no perfect families. Have you figured that out? There there are no perfect families. There are no perfect families out there. There's no perfect family up here. There's no perfect family down the street. There's no perfect family in the carpool line. There's no perfect families anywhere. I used to think that the families that went to Disney World with the matching t-shirts... I kind of thought they were perfect families. And so what I did is I had our family order matching t-shirts the last time we went to Disney World. It didn't really change anything. We were still the same imperfect family, even with the matching t-shirts. I think sometimes one of the reasons why I have a hard time preaching on, on a Mother's Day message or a Father's Day message is because even when you turn to Scripture, there are no perfect families. In fact, almost as much as anything, when you take a look at Scripture, man, there's some train wrecks in there. I mean, there are some folks that are really, really messing. There's a bunch of families that are described in Scripture that I want no part of switching places with at all. And so, folks, understand that there are no perfect families. What we do have in Scripture, though, is that we have time and time and again... Places where the Word of God says, this is the movement of your life. How the Word of God strengthens your family. It's never going to be perfect. It's not expected to be perfect. But time and time again, the Word of God says, if you will do these things, it will strengthen the imperfect family that you currently have. In fact, in most of the New Testament letters that we have, the front half is theology and doctrine, the back half is practical life, and at the center of practical life in those letters is, now let's talk about the difference that family makes, or that faith makes inside of your house, and inside of your family. And so here we are in 1 Peter at about the halfway point, and he begins to turn and say, now let's talk about what difference that faith makes inside of the family. So here we are. He he talks to wives, and he talks to husbands, now, if you'll open up your text there in chapter 3 and, and verse 1 and then again in verse 7, I want you to notice that there's a word there. That's an easy word to just kind of run right over, but it's the word Likewise. Likewise. Now what I want you to do is I want you to see that that word likewise is connecting us to the words that precede the passage that we're looking at right now. What I want you to notice that when it says likewise wives, and then again in verse 7, likewise husbands, it's pulling back to the passage that we looked at last week. And in fact, when we look at the passage that we looked at last week, one of the things that was saying, listen, this is how you live your life as a citizen, and this is how you live your life as a servant or a co-worker or an employee. It said, let's apply your faith into these parts of your life. So it says, so apply your life as a citizen this way. Apply your faith uh, as a coworker, or as a servant this way. Now it says, now, now let's talk about what difference it makes inside of your family. So likewise, your citizenship, your, your daily work life, and now your family. But I also want you to see when it says likewise, I want you to see something bigger in there because when it says likewise, it is not just saying this is how you should live your life as a citizen, this is how you should live your life in your work life, and this is how you should live your life in your your, your family life. It is saying you should live your life this way so that people will move from unbelief to full belief. In fact, you can see that in all three of those arenas of life. Likewise, your goal is not just to have a happy, healthy life, not just to have a happy, healthy home, which those are great. I mean, we prefer happy, healthy over the options. But the goal here is not just to be magazine cover, beautiful family, but the goal in your citizenship the goal in your work life, and the goal of your family life is to help people move from unbelief in Jesus to full belief in Jesus. Now remember we talked about that last week because one of the things that we said is that, man, these are the early days of the church when it was quite likely that most people that you lived with and around did not know Jesus and did not believe Jesus. So it really mattered. This is how you live as a believer in Jesus in a world that doesn't believe in Jesus. This is how you help them move. So likewise, in these different arenas and for this purpose. But I want you to see one more thing before we dig too far into the text. I want you to see that when it says likewise... That the most recent passage that it is looking back, the most recent section of the passage that is looking back, he is taking us back to verse 21. He's in chapter 2, it says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you might follow in his steps. And then it describes how he committed no sin. It describes how he suffered. But all of those things, he he entrusted himself to to the one who judges justly. He bore our sins on the tree so that we might be saved. The, the, The ultimate likewise here is not just this is how you live your faith in this arena. It's not just how you live your faith for this purpose. But the ultimate likewise is wives and husbands live your life in your home like Jesus. Live your life in your home like Jesus lived for us. Now that's huge. That's huge in so many different ways. It is huge because it calls us to a a huge calling. But I also want you to know as we dig into this passage of Scripture and and we dig into some gender roles and we dig into all those kinds of things, I want you to know that whatever it says about wives, whatever it says about husbands, is echoed in the example of Jesus. So the same value, the same purpose, the same authority, the same all of those things If it's true about Jesus, it's true about wives and it's true about husbands. If it's true about us, it's what we're supposed to see in Jesus. Likewise, wives live like Jesus lived. Likewise, husbands live like Jesus lived. Do we see that? We see that? Pull that back. Good. All right. Now, here's the thing. Because it's Father's Day. We're going to kind of zero in a little bit on the husband side of the equation. So ladies, you, you sort of get the day off. Uh, no, no promises, but you sort of get the day off here. So we're going to, we're going to anchor in on, on husbands at this point in time. But I think that God will use this in all of our lives. So here's the first thing that I want you to see beyond the likewise. The first thing that I want you to see is that men bless their home by believing. Men bless their home by believing. Now, we were talking about this in our family just this week. There are few greater divisive questions in the world today than oatmeal raisin cookies. Uh, Let me just see... I mean, we could really divide this. Nobody has a so-so opinion about oatmeal raisin cookies. Either you're all in or you're like Brian and say nothing. I happen to love a nice, soft oatmeal raisin cookie. I mean, I, I love a soft oatmeal raisin Just fantastic. One of the most underrated cookies in the universe. Now, Susan detests... An oatmeal raisin cookie. She, she has three reasons why she hates an oatmeal raisin cookie. The oatmeal, the raisins, and that it's not a chocolate chip cookie. Those are three things that she has against oatmeal raisin cookies. But I have good news for you. Our marriage has survived the oatmeal raisin divide okay? It's been close a couple times. We, we've had to lean into brownies just to kind of find a safe space for the, 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 the two of us uh, there, but we have survived there. So that is so that is a big divisive issue, and we can kind of chuckle about that. But there's a reality here that this passage of Scripture is talking about, and that is an even greater divide that sometimes happens inside of a family, and sometimes happens inside of a marriage. And that is when you have one spouse who believes, and one spouse who doesn't believe. And that's heavy. And there are some of you who are in the room today that do not know that as a heaviness because you've heard that or hypothetically you understand that or theoretically you understand that, but you understand that because you have lived that for some time, either in the home that you grew up in or maybe in the home that you currently live in today. It provides some real practical tensions like today. Are we going to church today? How are we going to celebrate Father's Day? Is that a church event? Is that not a church uh, event. It, it provides that it, it's difficult because it's some really core issues. There, there are different values that are going on in that place. There's just the absence of that shared intimacy that comes when we share faith together inside of a marriage. And when Peter writes to the church here in his day, he knows that very, very many of the people that he is writing to, he is writing to a family that is a mixed spiritual family. And the question is, what do you do about that? Some of you have been wrestling with that question for a long time. And, and, and I don't know all of you and I don't know all of that story, but I just happen to know that as a pastor. There, there are a few things that, that run deeper in a wife or in a spouse's life than when they do not share their faith with their spouse. How, how, how do you do that? How do you do that when the person that you love the most does not share your faith? How do you process this when the person that you love the most Is the person least likely to to listen to your witness and to your words? Well, the passage here does not solve everything. But it says what you do is more important than what you say. It says that they are not obedient to the word. That means that they are not a believer. They have not submitted their life to the word of God. So they are not obedient to the word. But here's what you do so that you can win them without a word. Did you see that word play there? They're not obedient to the word, but here's how you can win them without a word. Because it is about what you do more than what you say. Listen, there's nobody that's watching your life up close to see the reality of your faith more than the person who lives in the house with you. They are watching that to say. And, And the passage continues to say, it is more important who you are than how you look. Did you notice this? This was the braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, the the fine clothes. It sounds like somebody's Instagram profile. Uh, That'll work better at 11 Um, (laughs) o'clock. You know what's really, really interesting? How much fashion hasn't changed. This is 2,000 years ago. Here's the surface level of fashion. It's your hair, it's your jewelry, and the clothes that you wear. Man, we do not change very much at all over time. It's who you are more important than how you look. It's what you do that's more important than what you say in terms of being a witness inside of your own home. But but really, I want to shift this back to husbands. I want you to know that your family, your wife, your spouse, hungers for nothing more in your life than for you to be a believing person inside of your home the question that she is wrestling with the question that peter is writing to to these heartbroken people who are married to someone who has not followed them yet inside of their faith and they love their spouse that they chose to live with their spouse Their lives are knitted together, but in this one place that matters so much to them, there is division. And Peter says, these are the things that you do in order to win that spouse without a word. But what I want you to see between the lines, what I want you to see right through the middle of it is that there is nothing that your family wants, needs, hungers for, than to see you as a living, breathing person of faith. They want to hear you pray. They want to see you worship. They want to hear you talk about the things of God. They want you to care about the things of faith. It's possible that you're here in church this morning because it's part of what the celebration for the day is. It is possible that you are here in church today because because it's just part of your routine of being a good person. But it's possible that you have bounced on the edges of faith and never fully embraced faith. Let me tell you, there's nothing better that you can do for your marriage and for your family and for your kids than to become a person who is a real, live believer in Jesus, accepting Him as the rescuer and forgiver of your sins, the Lord and master of your life. There's nothing greater that you can do and there's no greater hunger inside of your family than to see that true in your life. And if you are a believer, if you are a believer, I'm not asking you to become a show pony. But man, the people who live in your house need to, need to see evidence of that. They need to see like, yeah, my dad, my husband loves Jesus and he worships, And he prays and he cares about spiritual things. And he helps us rearrange our lives so that Jesus is first in all that we do. Men will bless their homes by believing. Secondly, what I want you to see here is that men will bless their homes by leading. Men will bless their homes by leading. Now hold on, buckle up tight, here we go. We we walk into this conversation today in a season, probably more so than ever before, when this whole idea of gender roles and gender types is more discussed and debated than it's ever been. Although I think back the pioneer days on the prairie, they probably still argued about some of these things back in those days as well. But what I I want you to see here is that this is kind of, you know, when I was laying out 1 Peter, I'm like, ooh, that's going to be a Sunday when we get to that one, Uh, when we, we, we talk about some of the things that are in this passage that you heard me read and your ears perked up and said, ooh, I wonder what he's going to do with that. Here's what I want us to do with that. First of all, I want us to listen to the Word of God. I want us to be prepared to put our lives underneath what the Word of God says. That's the role of a believer is living our lives submitted to the Word of God. I also want you to recognize that, man, some of these plan B's all the way to plan Z that's going on right now, they're not really working okay so before we run away from plan a just understand that some of these other plans are not necessarily blessing the daylights out off of us the socks off of us they're a struggle but i also want to make sure that we fully listen to what the scripture says don't don't just shortcut and make an assumption about what it's saying here so uh, all of those things. I want you to listen to what the Word of God says here. I want us to be ready to submit ourselves to it, but make sure you hear what it's really, really saying. And that's all the way through the end of the message uh, this morning. But, but here's this question uh, about leadership uh, roles. There, there are two extremes that I think sometimes men fall to inside of their marriages, and inside of their families. One extreme is a dominating, overbearing, controlling person who squishes the spirit and stifles freedom inside of their home. Have you ever heard of that? Maybe you've seen it on TV, but I really shouldn't kid about that because quite likely there are folks here who have lived under that and may even be currently living under that today. And one of the extremes is overbearing, domineering, and just squishing the daylight out of their family. Let me see if I can't sum this up for you guys. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be an overbearing person who squishes the life out of them. Don't be an oppressive force inside of your home. Don't do that. But here's the the other extreme that I think that we live in And that is that we have the possibility of folks, uh, another approach that that would come in that is a man comes into the home disengaged, distant, and passive. Who has spent all of their energy, all of their life, all of their, their, their force... Out in the world and in their job and in all their other things that they have going on. And when they come home, they withdraw into a cocoon, maybe even to, uh, to, to their man cave, and they just step aside. Let me just tell you, both of those examples, both of those examples are examples of selfishness lived outside of a, lived inside of a man. To be overbearing, dominating, oppressive, saying this is the way it has to be. Or to sink into a recliner and never move or engage or step into life beyond that. Both of those far extremes are expressions of selfishness that is ungodliness lived inside of the home. In this passage of Scripture, it says that Sarah obeyed. Boy, we don't like that word. We don't like that idea of obeyed. But I want you to hear what that word means is that Sarah allowed her husband to lead. Now, go back and read the story starting at the end of Genesis chapter 11 all the way through the mid-20s of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Understand, first of all, this may not be one of those families you want to switch places with. But also understand... Sarah did not just meekly yield to everything that was going on. Sarah had a word or two to say. But at the end of the day, when Abraham said, This is what the word of God says to me that we need to do, then Sarah followed the leadership of Abraham. Now, guys, do not be overbearing. And not do, do not be disengaged and, imp- and impassive in all that you're doing. Your family needs you to lead. Your family needs to bring the whole thing to the table. I understand that it is a long day and that you face pressures and stresses and strains all the way through your day. I know that you need to relax. I know that you need a diversion. But do not be the kind of man that is ready to do the hard things in life everywhere but home. Your wife, your kids need the top slice of your life, not the leftover of your life. And that means being plugged in as a leader who's in the middle of life, not oppressing and overbearing and controlling, but not passive, disengaged, and uninterested. Your family needs you to lead. Thirdly, uh, thirdly, I would say to you that a man blesses his home by honoring. A man blesses his home by honoring. This is really the place where we see how to live between this extreme and this extreme. Let, let's go back to verse 7 uh, here this morning. It says, Likewise, Likewise, go back to living like Jesus. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen, let me try to unpack. Let me try to unpack uh, this verse in far quicker time than what, what the verse deserves. But what I want you to do here is I want you to recognize that her thoughts, her ways matter. When it says here that you are to live with your wife in an understanding way, that means stop, pay attention, who she is, what she thinks, what she wants. All of those things matter and it needs to be a task in your life that you stop and understand and hear her life and begin to see things from her perspective and understand life from her. Well, we could spend a lot of time here thinking about what it means here when it talks about the woman as the weaker vessel. But what I want you to know is that this passage here is calling on us to treat her as an incredible, intricate, valuable piece of art. It is a priceless piece of art on a shelf that says, handle this with care because it is so, so valuable. I would say to you, that you are to treat her as an equal and as a partner. Man, hear these remarkable words in the middle of this verse. It says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Boy, you better pay attention to that honor. Sometimes people get stuck. oh, she's a weaker vessel. Well, then that doesn't sound like honor to me, my friend. Uh, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since that you are heir, she is heirs with you of the grace life. Everything that's true in your life spiritually is true in her life spiritually. She is not tagging along in your life. She is a full-blooded, full-fleshed, full, equal person to you before God. Everything that's true about you is true about her. Let me just tell you, in the first century, that was kind of a mic drop, drop your jaw kind of moment. That she is an heir. That she is equal. First century women were not heirs. They were not, they were not capable of inheriting anything legally. And he says he is, that she is an heir with you. She is equal to you. Listen, men, we have to see our wives as a partner Not just as a partner of effectiveness. Not just as a co-worker to make the house work. But as a partner in life. You all have heard the sermon illustration many, many times about the dash. Don't forget the dash. It's the dash that's on your headstone, right? Born on this date, died on this date. But all of life is squeezed into the dash. Make sure you make the most out of the dash. I want to add to our punctuation sermon illustrations today, the ampersand. I like the ampersand. It's right up here on the screen. It's the and. I want you to know how much your life matters because it is the and. I want you to know how much my life matters since July eleventh, nineteen 1992, when we became Tim and Susan. That and connects our life. Sometimes uh, someone will talk to me about something. I say, oh, I need to go check on that with Susan. I, I need to go check on that with Susan. And, and I'm afraid somebody looks like, boy, she must run the show. No. We are the show. She, we are one flesh. We are one mind. We, we are one life. And, and there's no sense my making a decision when I don't know all of my mind. I don't know all of my life. I don't know who, it is the end. She is my partner. She is my co-heir in Christ. Everything that's true about me is true about her. And let me just tell you. You've got a, an and in your life as well. And they are your heir in Christ if they are a believer. They are your partner. They are the flesh of your flesh. And somehow, someplace over the years, man, the the forces of this world try to shrink that and. And guys, do not let your buddies, your coworkers, your job, your energy level, whatever it is that's going on in your life, do not let it shrink the and as part of your identity. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you bless homes. I pray that you bless families across this room. Lord, I pray that you would bless even some families that, that on the outside have some missing pieces. It's part of the imperfection. Lord, I pray that you would fill in those gaps. But Lord, to those men who are here, that have roles as fathers. Lord, I pray that they would be believing men. Lord, I pray that they would bring the full energy of their life into their family first so that they can look like you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.